Before we get into the next episode of the Conjugate Chats, I want to thank the Department of Young Strain Coaches, the DOYSC, for sponsoring today's episode. The DOYSC is to help young coaches into the field of strength conditioning, whether that is CSCS prep, live discussions, internship or GA opportunities, or anything else strength conditioning related. They are here for a resource for young strength coaches going into the field of strength and conditioning. I'll drop the link in the description to the DOYSC's Discord so any young coach can have access to this awesome resource. So thank you for listening to the Conjugate Chats and the DOYSC for sponsoring today's episode. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Rasp at that. I have on today Brandon Pig. He is the head strength conditioning coach and assistant track coach over at Princeville High School in Alabama. Brandon, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So let's kick things off, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brandon Pig. I'm from the Florence, Alabama area. Went to Mississippi State for my undergrad, got that in kinesiology, specialization in exercise science. Went to Memphis. I was a graduate assistant there. Um, undergrad and graduate school, I was a research assistant on the kind of more like research side of things. So wasn't actually doing strength and conditioning back then. I was more on the physiology side of things. So anything nutrition, supplement related, that was kind of more my wheelhouse. After that, that's when I kind of really when I started grad school was when I realized that I needed to be on the more applied side of the field. So I'd always kind of been training people on the side, but was just looking for more opportunity to work with athletes there. And then eventually made my way into coaching full time. Yeah, man, I didn't know you went to Memphis. Yeah. How was your experience down at Memphis? Oh, man, I love Memphis. It's a great city. A lot yeah, of good that, food, a lot of fun things to do, a lot of good people. I must say, that's not far from where I'm out here in Tennessee. I'm about yeah. an hour east, east of yeah. Memphis. So I didn't know you were that close, actually. That's really yeah. cool. So uh, I sent you that list of all the questions and whatnot. Yeah. So sometimes they're in order, sometimes they're not. Kind of depends on the flow of things. So I'd like to ask this question here. Why did you go into strength conditioning? So um, I won't go full backstory. I'll kind of plug Andrew McGackie's podcast where I went a little bit further in depth on that. So shout out to Andrew. If you want to hear more on that, go check out my episode there. But basically, there are a few different threads that tied into it. Number one, I was a good but bad athlete in high school which was really confusing to me um you know the output was there like i'm five nine i'm white but i still got to the point where i could dunk for a very brief period of time before my knees turned to ashes and got decently fast um probably faster now than i was then just because of shifts in training but i lacked so much reactivity and so many of the things that just make special players special and so I was never actually good. Like if you looked at it on paper, like if you looked at like my numbers for like 
squat, deadlift, bench, vert, sprint times. You're like, okay, this guy might be all right. But then on the field, the dots just never connected. And so there were some things I was better at than others. And like I could find a niche to, provide, to add value. But I was never like, okay, this is our guy. But like I was brought up in a culture where it's like, okay, if you do this, this, and this in the offseason, you're going to be the guy. It's like, okay, I'm really good at all that stuff. Why do I suck? And, though, and so that just kind of left me with like, all right, there's got to be a better way. And so that's where a lot of my questions kind of started to come from. Also, my interest in research got started in high school because uh, you've heard of a guy named Corey Gregory that started Muscle Farm. He did like a squat every day thing. And my dad was a pretty high level power lifter back in the 80s and 90s. I was brought up with a lot of, you know, the old fashioned, you know, like you got to have 24 hours rest or else it's, you're going to overtrain, you can't make progress. And I'm watching this dude that's natty who's maxing out on squat every single day. I'm like, okay, he's still getting better. It goes against all conventional wisdom that I've heard growing up. How has his body adapted to make that happen? And so that's where just the idea of researching how the body adapts to things kind of came into play. And that was what kind of started me on my original path. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, you know, I love hearing people's journeys into strength conditioning, why, the, the why behind they even went into the field. So hearing that is awesome, man. I mean, strength conditioning can make an average player really, really good. But at the times like, like your situation to where, you know, you're a really good lifter, you know, why is this still, you're, you, you kind of put it as you're not the man, sort of. Yeah. Sort and a big part of that was injuries. And that also played a lot into kind of my training philosophy is I was always injured. So a lot of that progress didn't matter because by the time we'd get to end season, I'm injured again. And so whether that be nerve damage from some of the, you know, more questionable finishers we would do, or if it was like a torn ACL, torn tendons in my foot, slip disc in my back, like this, that, and the other. And it was like, I'm never healthy but I'm doing everything that I'm being asked to do. And those things didn't make sense to me. Right. Is that why you went to the high school realm? High school realm? Um, there's a few reasons I went high school. Yes, I like the idea of being able to work with younger people and making a bigger difference there. Also, on the family side of things, I'm not super willing to work 80 hours a week and always travel to games. I, maybe there's a point where... Um, you know, my kids have gone off to college, don't have kids yet, but I'm not trying to launch a family in that environment. Right. Right. Especially that collegiate setting. That collegiate yeah. setting is so, I'm not going to say ridiculous, but it's very extreme. Yes. Where it's early mornings, late nights, you're not getting home till whenever. Weekends are pretty much gone at that point. You know, I don't know how some of these collegiate strength coaches have a family and maintain that work-life balance so and a lot of those settings in collegiate and professional settings really expect you to have very slim if any boundaries depending on the culture and the organization there but to me like if like if there's ever a point where like i can't see my girlfriend who will eventually be my wife 
that's just not it for me. I don't really care. Like I'll give up all the other stuff to make sure that I can take care of her and everything at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's part of the reason why I took the job over here with my wife. It's because the last high school I was at, I was working, you know, the school day from seven to two. And then from two to probably about, I probably about to say six or seven that night was football. Yeah. So I was like, something's got to give, and it's not going to be my family. So, yep. um, do you have any hobbies outside of the weight room? Yeah. Um, there are a few that are kind of always going on. The others just kind of rotate in and out based off of what I'm feeling at the time or how much extra time I have. Um, number one, kind of staying on topic. Right now, I'm just really enjoying being in the same city as my girlfriend and being able to spend time as her. Uh, depending on how you count it, we've been, if you count the off and on times, we've been together three years. And the first two years of that, we were not within sometimes four hours of each other, sometimes 10 hours of each other. And she was always a trooper. I was broke during that time. So I couldn't afford to, number one, leave and stop making money. And number two, I couldn't afford to go see her. So, I mean, at least once a month, she'd always come see me. She, you know, when someone's down for you like that during all the times where it's tough, once you get the opportunity to, you know, kind of, return those favors and actually be plugged in, you take that advantage or that opportunity. So always make sure that, you know, I spend a lot of time with her and do fun things that she enjoys that don't have anything to do with, you know, my career or anything like that. Um, other than that, we have six chickens. So we've, uh, we're kind of getting into the chicken farming life. Um, we recently found out two of our chickens are roosters. So we got to figure out what to do with that. And, you know, I'm also losing two chickens worth of eggs each year. So I'm a little bummed about that. Outside of that, uh, play guitar. I'm kind of a nerd. I like anime. Um, not the weird kind, but the fun kind. And when I have time, and I'm very strict about the when I have time part, I do enjoy trading in the stock market. But that's not something that I'm going to half-heartedly do, because if you're not plugged in, you can blow a lot of money really quick. Right, man. Let's go back to the anime question. What's your favorite anime show? Um, like, like, what's my goat? Yeah, let's go that. Hunter Hunter, easily. Okay. And anyone who says otherwise did not watch the Chimera Ant arc. So if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have no idea what I'm talking about. There's dudes and like you, and I know Ethan, he's big yeah. in anime right now. I, I mean, I only got like a little slab of knowledge about anime like i'll watch it if it's there or not yeah but you know y'all do y'all can go for it you know it's, yeah y'all full sin in that thing so that's yeah. awesome that's awesome i um, lived alone for a long time and you run out of things to do on your own so anime filled that void i grew up on dragon ball z and that's like slot you know the, the yeah. top slab of right anime so what are you doing to continuously learn in the field of strength conditioning I mean, there's so many different ways to do it now. Um, the obvious one are books, podcasts. We know, I mean, by the, at this point, you should have heard every popular book, every popular podcast. There are ridiculous amounts of information that you can learn from out there, even something like CoachTube. Um, to me, the ways I learn best, one that's a little bit more unusual is I kind of take more of a Socratic approach or kind of like a Leonardo da Vinci type approach 
I like to just write questions down somewhere that I'm going to see them every day and then just reflect on them. Because the first time you ask that question, you're probably not going to be in the right mindset to actually find the answer. And so you can try the spoon fed way and go to Google or whatever. But a lot of the times, if you just actually dwell on those questions and you come back to them every day, you're eventually going to find something that sparks kind of a thread in your mind. And you can find a lot of answers on your own. And you can also find a lot of things that most people might not think at the surface level. And you get time to really dig deep on stuff like that. The other way that I go about it is just either calling or going and visiting someone that I think is really good at it. And if you can find someone that you're like, okay, here's a question I have. Who do I consider the expert on it? And you're able to go visit them. That's probably the best way to learn. Second best is a phone call. Text and email, DM really doesn't even compare to those. It's really getting in the conversation. That's where you're going to learn. Yeah. And you're talking about saying contacting an expert in your field, you know, if you want to go learn. Is that why you went in interned with Cody? There are a few different reasons I interned for Cody. Um, I was weighing a few different internship opportunities, really good coaches that I had an opportunity to work with. But honestly, the number one was I was tired of living away from my girlfriend, and she lives 25 minutes away from where Cody coaches at. So the other places were, you know, between six hours and 12 hours away. And I was like, man, I'm tired of being away from her. Like, I think this is a really good fit for me. So Cody, there are a few different things. Number one, like Cody carries himself with a very high standard. And so he does things at a very high level. So his training philosophy in general was close enough to mine that I thought I would connect and not just be overwhelmed with questions. But also I wanted to see how he did those things at a high level. Also, I mean, part of it, I'll be honest, you can call it selfish, you can call it whatever you want, but if I'm going to come and work for you for free, I want something out of that. And so I knew Cody gives a lot of responsibility to his interns, and I know that he promotes his interns on Twitter. So number one, a lot of responsibility is going to give me a lot of opportunity to grow and develop. And the exposure is nice because I don't want to be an intern forever. I wanted to get a job. And that was what happened. So like if you're if you're a coach that's never once spoken about your interns, to me that's almost like, okay, like that doesn't want first of all, that does not mean you aren't speaking about them whenever you get phone calls looking for job opportunities and stuff. But if you're also going to limit my opportunity to grow in the field, I mean, I'm working for you for free and you're probably getting me for full time or more. Like once again, you can call it selfish if you want, but I'm not going to do that without getting a full load of value in return. And some people say the only value you need is whatever internship curriculum program that a coach is going to put you, put you through. I personally just disagree. Let's kind of backtrack to this internship with Cody. Yeah. Um, you said that he gives a lot of responsibility to his interns. I mean, what did you learn from the responsibilities that he gave to you? Well, I should also backtrack that he gives responsibility if he believes in your ability to handle them. So I came in and I did a ton of things without asking. Like I made sure the racks were set up perfectly every single day. I vacuumed without being asked. I made sure all the sheets were out without being asked. Made sure they were all printed off without being asked. There were a ton of things I did without being asked where he was like, okay, 
I don't have to teach him how to be a sensible working human. I can trust him to do some more stuff. And at the same token, I also wasn't coming in being gung ho and like, oh, dude, I see like all these chinks in the armor of your programming. You should do this instead. No, that's not really how you prove you're valuable. Like, do all the things that require attention to detail really well. And then you're probably going to get a bigger opportunity to work. So we'll start by saying that, like, if you come in there and you're like, you're unprepared, you're sloppy, you don't really do anything, he's not going to give you the same role that I had. So there is a, there is that prerequisite from there. So, I mean, by the time I became the assistant there, I was doing all the programming for the girls, all programming for middle school. I was running those sessions on my own. So I got to see, and like, if you aren't familiar with the way a session works or like a weekly schedule with Cody, because of the way the school schedule lays out, in season, you're gonna get two sessions a week. It'll start with speed work, then you get a lift. Off season, you're gonna get anywhere from three training sessions a week to seven training sessions a week, depending on what the head coach wants. So I, being on the women's side, the girls basketball team, was the only one who wanted that extra work in the off season. So I also ran their sessions, programmed that full off season. Obviously I had to get to do the full off season because I had to leave and come to my new school. But yeah, I mean, I just got to see like everything as a coach. Like he was like, he was my assistant during the girls side and he gave me full opportunity to just learn, make mistakes, grow from them. So there were things like, okay, like some of them were stupid. Like just, I didn't, I wasn't thinking. I paired like a hip thrust with a chin up at the same time. And it's like, okay, they both need to be inside the rack for that. We can't do that. So those are some like the simple mistakes you make early on just because you, you don't even think about it, especially if you're used to training in like the one-on-one -on -one environment where those logistics don't matter, which is kind of where I came from. Like the biggest groups I ever worked with was two. And so having to make those adjustments and make those mistakes on my own, that's a lot of valuable experience. And but he gave me full like I had full autonomy. Our training sessions looked similar, but not the same as the guys. And he like he would ask me questions about my thought process process for everything. But he never criticized it and he never said, no, you need to do things my way. Yeah, man. Well, I met Cody down at NHSSCA's NatCon and where I met you and he made me feel welcomed, you know, yeah. from NatCon, you know, I even got a picture with him and several others, and even you, you know, got a picture with you as well. But I mean, like, I, I noticed that he kind of keeps his circle tight. So when he gives responsibilities, and it sounds like you had like a hell of a lot of responsibilities, and he kind of, you know, helped you progress. I mean, that's that's saying something. Yeah. And he told me straight up when I came, he was like, look, if you're good at what you do, I'm going to treat you like an assistant, not an intern, because I'm a one-man show, and I don't really have time to run a curriculum for you. Like, I'm not going to sit you down and hold, like, weekly, hour-long sessions where we go through, like, programs and stuff. And part of that, you know, I'd already had one degree. I already had my CSCS. Was, you know, grad school, I had two master's classes left. So I didn't need to go through a lot of that kind of basic stuff. And he wasn't going to try to be redundant and go down those rabbit holes when they're already filled. He seemed like a pre, a really he good guy, actually. He's a, he's a great guy. He uh, he messaged me on Twitter, you know, before we went to NatCon and 
he said, I'm looking forward to meeting you and all this other stuff. And I mean, he seems like a really good guy. I really want to go down and visit his facility one day just to. Yeah. Just to. Any, anyone who's in the Southeast area and you're within a couple hours of Huntsville, you have to go visit Cody at least once. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So let's kind of get into some training stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the most important physical attributes for a strength and conditioning coach to develop in their athlete system? So a lot of that is going to come down to how much time you have and how many things you can cover. Logistics kind of rule everything. So it's going to depend, like, I don't know what your, like your circumstances are. For me, off season, I'm going to get you three times a week for after changing time, warm up time and all that. At most 40 minutes, probably more like 30, 35. And so off season, I'm going to get you three times a week like that. In season, I'll get you four days a week, but it's going to be pretty short. Like you're going to have about 40 minutes total to get everything done. And which is nice because I can actually go a little bit further in depth than we did at Madison Academy. But even then, like I can't chase every single adaptation possible. Right. For me personal, personally, on the ones that are, I'm going to find a way to make it happen, we are going to train speed. I think that, like, if you're limited on time, get rid of your power work in the weight room and make your speed work your power work. That's if you're looking to cut down on time, any type of power work you're doing, replace it with speed work and jump work and throw work. I think those are much bigger rocks. And I think it's not to say any of the power work in the weight room isn't important, but to me, those take precedence. Also, if you're Also, we get into the debate of how much value should a strength coach bring and how much responsibility should they have. I personally think if you want to make an actual difference on the field, you do need to be getting into stuff with change of direction, agility, perception, reaction, coupling in the brain. And so if you're getting with someone like, okay, you take someone like me, like they've got pretty good measurables, but they're not showing up on the field. If you can improve their agility, which involves that reactivity and mental processing, that makes them more valuable on the field. And to me, my value as a strength coach is A, keep the cats healthy, B, give them a few more cats to work with. Every team's gonna have their dudes, whether it's a male team or a female team, you're gonna have your just absolute studs that are gonna play no matter what. Keep that group healthy. Outside of that, you've probably got a couple average players and you've got some subpar players. If you can make the average players capable of playing more minutes and take some stress off of the studs, and you can help the subpar players at least come in for some relief minutes, that's huge value. And I get it. There are going to be a ton of people to say that, like, stay in your lane. That's not your job. That's the sport coach's job. I personally disagree, and that's why... I really do prioritize agility, change of direction type work. Outside of that, kind of going down those same threads, I want, so I kind of put a slash on this, like eccentric capacity as well as tendon capacity, because you need both of those to be able to handle all the decelerations in sport, whether it be from landing from a jump, or like if you're a linebacker, you're going to take a ton of read steps. And so your linebackers are going to have tendonitis in their patellar tendon, just because they've taken an absolute piss ton of read steps, and that's a ton of D cells on their knee. 
So if you can build that capacity from a tendon standpoint, that's going to help prevent injuries happening in the first place. But also you're going to need some tendon health work to help fight any of those that come up in sport or that were pre-occurring before you got somewhere. And so I think those are both very important. Outside of that, I've had a few tweets that kind of reference this. Whatever sports you coach, you should be aware with what the most common injuries are in those sports. Find the mechanisms of those injuries and then try to train around it. So whether that's something like baseball or softball, where you're going to see a lot of wrist flexor tendonitis, like, okay, how can we take care of our, like, number one, do I need to make suggestions to the coach? Like, hey, can we have an off-season throwing program so we don't have a huge ramp up in throwing volume over the course of two weeks and overload the capacity of the tendons? Also, what can I do in the training that helps keep those tendons healthy and help keeps that capacity high throughout the off-season? Things of that nature. But yeah, to wrap that up, you're going to see a lot of speed. You're going to see a lot of change of direction, agility, nonlinear work. And you're going to see a lot of things focused on being able to handle the decelerations in sport and things that are going to keep you healthy from, or hopefully keep you healthy from common injuries in your sport. Yeah, man, that's awesome. You're really big into tendon health right now. That's, yes. that's kind of been your, been your, um, what's the word for it? Niche, right? Yeah. You know, kind of lately and Twitter, you know, the strength and conditioning Twitter, we're kind of taking notice of that emphasis in tendon health. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, you presented the ISO Jefferson split squats. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, the, how did I even, where did you get that from? So first of all, I've got to give a lot of credit to people smarter than me on that side of the field, because I'm just doing what I've learned from them. So on the research side of things, you need to know Keith Barr, you need to get, know Jill Cook, and you need to understand that why there's differences between their two work because they see the same things in different lights. You also need to follow Jake Tura. Um, He puts out content on Twitter, on Instagram, he puts out more. Jake knows 10 times what I do about this stuff. I've just been on this rabbit hole since early 2019. And I found some stuff that's actually making a difference just today, our athletic trainer was talking about how he hasn't heard all the gripes and cries about tendonitis that he's normally hearing during this time of year. So that was kind of those little comments like that wind up being some of the biggest compliments you can give my program or the way I program. And those are the things I like to see. So how much of depth do you want me to go into on why the isometrics work and why you need to do them? Full sin. Go for it. Full send? Full send. All right. Um, for the full, full send, look up um, Joel Smith's Just Fly Performance episodes with Keith Barr. Look up Jake Tura's episodes with him on the Jacked Athlete podcast. You're gonna, that's about three hours worth of material you're going to need to cover if you want like full details. Ultimately, Keith Barr uses a really good analogy of tendons are like water. And if you heard Cody's presentation, he mentioned how tendons are viscoelastic. That means they have properties of both a solid and of water. So easiest way to imagine how your tendons work at high speeds versus slow speeds. Imagine a swimming pool. When you jump off the third highest diving board and you belly flop, 
how does that pool feel? Are you asking me like just yes. question? How does that feel? So just full on SmackDown. Yep. Yes. It would how, hurt. It, would you say the water works together in that instance, or would you say each molecule of the water works in and of itself? Works together. It works together. All right. Let's look at the opposite end. You're trying to figure out like, all right, it's getting kind of warm, but it's still been chilly some nights. Can I jump in this pool without it feeling terrible? You dip your toe in the water. How does the water react to you then? Does it all work as one unit or does it all kind of mold around you as you go into it? Mold around? It molds around you. Your tendons work the exact same way. When you sprint, when you jump, when you change direction, anything like that, your tendon works as one unit. And if you want a cool example of this, take just a piece of like notebook paper and smack, like kind of smack it, like kind of pop it. Then tear a hole in the middle of it. Try to pop it again. Guess what happens? It's gonna break. It doesn't. It does not. Really? You pop it. I'll do it right now. I'll take this sheet. I'm gonna put a hole in the middle of it. It took five pops to finally get it to tear. Guess what? That's how your tendons work when you got tendonitis. They still work. Your body may take some different strategies to, ma to manage the pain. But even when you got that hole, they still work. And if you're only taking those fast approaches where the tendon works together, you're not actually targeting the hole because you're never actually training. If you don't know much about tendons, they're made of collagen molecules. Imagine those molecules as like rings. It's not what they actually look like, but imagine rings that are all linked together by a chain. The more links in your chain, the stiffer your tendon, the less links, the less stiff the tendon. So what happens is if you're only training those fast movements and you hear a lot of people say, they're like, oh, we don't do this because we can't replicate those high forces in sprinting. So we're just going to let sprinting train those things or jumping train those things. That's like, okay, from a stiffness standpoint, that's not a terrible strategy. From a health standpoint, if you never do anything that targets the whole and those torn and broken collagen molecules, you're never going to heal it. Because tendons, and this, this is where it gets into, like seriously listen to those podcasts because I'm going to briefly touch on some of these mechanisms and you need to have a deep dive understanding of them. So one of the things you're going to need to know is with all exercise, all exercise, not just fast, not just slow, all of it, your body will release an enzyme called lysyl oxidase. Lysyl oxidase is what's going to bind your tendons together, or those collagen molecules in your tendons together. If you do a lot of fast work, where you're not, and you're just using your tendon as one sheet, not individual molecules, you're not really breaking many of those cross links down unless you exceed the capacity and get to a point where like you're getting patellar tendonitis or Achilles tendonitis, whatever it may be. And you're, you're not breaking many molecules down. So what happens is you've got not many breaks in the chain, but you've got the enzyme that builds the chain together. That results in a more stiff tendon, which is great for performance. If you want to increase rate of force development, get a stiffer tendon. If you want to understand how, why that analogy works, imagine you've got a rope tied to a sled. You want to pull the sled with the rope. What do you have to do before you can actually start pulling the sled? You have to get the slack out. 
you have to pull the slack out of the rope. If you have a really loosey-goosey tendon, it's going to take a long time to pull the slack out of that. So you can have the greatest neurological adaptations in the muscle in the world, but if it takes you forever to pull the slack out of your tendon, you're going to have low rate of force development. But yes, back to the slow side of things. So this is our toe dip. We're letting the whole tendon relax. We're letting all the molecules relax. We're targeting each molecule in and of itself, not the tendon as a whole. So that's where we need slow movements. And tendons don't really know direction so much they know speed and whether or not they're being loaded. So whether you're doing an isometric, a really slow eccentric, or a really slow concentric, the tendon doesn't really know the difference in that. All it knows is that it's being loaded and being stretched, and it's being stretched slowly so that it has time to relax. So from there, the tendon, once again, listen to those podcasts, we get into something that's called tendon creep. And so basically that means in order to fully allow that tendon to relax, you're going to need about 30 seconds. At 30 seconds, let's say that gets you 85% relaxed. From that point on, no matter how long you hold it, you might get up to 90%. So you're, in terms of rate of diminishing returns, 30 seconds is your sweet spot. After that, still good. It's not bad. You're just not getting much more relaxation. So that's why I like the isometrics, because it's easy to program a 30-second isometric hold, and then you're good to go. So from that, basically the way that works is we're going to actually, we're going to break those crosslinks down. We're going to target each molecule. And then once we go away, we heal the lysol oxidase, repairs those crosslinks. But it's healing the collagen that's torn and broken. And so that's where it's really nice to where it allows us to actually target tendon health and target anything that might be damaged or wrong inside the tendon because you can also have some unhealthy tendons just from lack of activity because what happens when tendons aren't loaded for long periods of time those cross links start happening in kind of random patterns whereas a, like an active person is going to have Crosslinks along the strain lines in which the tendons have been loaded. So when you get a stiff tendon that has lots of crosslinks going in random directions instead of the directions it's loaded, that's where you actually get a brittle tendon and it's going to snap really easily. So if you remember, like after COVID, the NFL had a lot of Achilles tears. Yes. And so that was kind of what happened where there was a long period of time where a lot of those guys really couldn't do their normal stuff. They came back, they went through a really fast ramp up period, and those tendons didn't have enough time to remodel and form those cross links along the strain lines. And so you round up with these brittle Achilles tendons and they popped. Wow. That's, I never, I, I guess it's going back because COVID was what, 2020? Mm hmm. And I never thought about that. I never thought about, you know, I knew that, you know, the NFL players, you know, they weren't getting their regular, you know, progression, whatever, program, whatever. I never thought about that, that aspect of their, I guess, their training regimen. Yeah. I, man, that's awesome. I, I never thought about stuff like that. Those are the things that have been large shifts in my training philosophy through the years. Like we can go back and forth on whether you should do west side conjugate or concurrent training or five by five or five three one. 
But at the end of the day, how much difference is that going to make? Probably not much. But these are things that actually make an impact on the athlete and their ability to perform. It's looking at the kind of the longevity of the athlete. You know, you're not yes. just looking at, well, he busted out a 500-pound squat today, and then probably in the offseason he can't barely hit, you know, 350, 400. You know, this is something that's sustainable. It's longevity yes. of the athlete. And that's where, and also, so strength coaches become obsessed with metrics. A lot of the times we collect this data because it's cool and we like to see the progress, but we might not fully understand the impacts of the data. So for instance, I talked about how a stiffer tendon can give you a much higher R or rate of force development. So for strength coach side, we might see that your RFD is through the roof, your RSI on like a three jump or an eight jump or what, however you do your RSIs is getting way higher. And you're like, man, I've got this kid's performance through the roof. I feel really good about myself. And then they blow a hamstring. How much good do any of those numbers do you when that player's on the sideline? None. None. None whatsoever. And so that is kind of the double-edged sword of a stiff tendon is if a tendon gets stiffer than the muscle is strong, the tendon will cause the muscle to either strain or pull. And so this is, I wish I could give a video demonstration of this. If anyone has rubber bands at home, you can do this demonstration. Hold your fist out at like chest height and hold a rubber band in your fist. If you've only got one, your fist is the muscle, the rubber band is your tendon. If you've only got one rubber band, you pull down on that rubber band, you're going to pull on that rubber band for a pretty long ways before it finally starts to pull your fist with it. If you hold 30 rubber bands in your hand and you try to pull down on those rubber bands, as soon as you start pulling, it's going to pull your, your fist slash your muscle with it. It's the exact same way with the pliable versus a stiff tendon. So remember when I talked about the loose tendons, how you're going to have low RFD because it takes so long to pull the slack out of it. That's your one rubber band scenario. Because this all ties back to our XFIS stuff of, okay, how do we get the stretch shortening cycle to work? Well, we get a big stretch on the muscle that activates the muscle spindles that activates a stronger concentric contraction. Okay. So that, how do we get that stretch? The tendon pulls on the muscle. That's the tendon's what connects the muscle to the bone. So if you have a really loose tendon, you may not have enough time on the ground to even get that stress, stretch reflex out of your muscle because it's not stiff enough. On the other hand, if you have a tendon so stiff, like our 30 rubber band analogy, that as soon as it makes contact, there's immediately a giant stretch on the muscle, what's well, a muscle pull? All it is is the muscle stretch too much too fast and the muscle spindles couldn't yank it back into place in time. So if you're like tendon stiffness is great because your RFD is great, but if it gets so stiff that your muscle can't handle it, now you're injured. You pulled a hamstring, you pulled a quad, you pulled a hip flexor, whatever it is. And so those are things we have to consider of like, okay, if our performance, is, performance metrics are always great, but we always have people that are pulling hamstrings and having to miss playoff time, Maybe we should try to trend more towards a little bit more pliable tendon, which isn't going to be as cool because we're not going to have as great of metrics. But if our best players are on the field, we win more games. That's the equation we have to look at. And some people say like, oh, 
if their fly 10 times drop by more than two hundredths of a second, I'm going to get fired. Well, maybe you need to have that conversation with the full coaching staff or whoever hires you. You're like, okay, I may not have as high a performance numbers as the coach who had this job before me, but I want you to judge me by how many, by player availability. And yes, freak accidents will happen. But if there are trends of every single year we have ACL tears or we have groin pulls or we have hip flexor pulls and those trends remain, there's a difference in a freak accident and a trend. I can live with freak accidents because, I mean, like even looking at me in high school, when I tore my ACL, my grandfather died the week before and my parents' relationship was at a rocky point where they weren't sure if they were going to get a divorce or stay together. Do you really think my nervous system was at a 10 on those following days? No. Probably not. So even if you have issues with the training I did in high school with my coaches, is it fair to blame that training on me tearing my ACL when my nervous system was obviously dampened and my sleep wasn't great and my readiness was trash? And it would never be fair to say something like that. So those are things like there's a difference in a trend. To me, a trend, like if you have two or more athletes that have the same problem, that's where there's a potential for a trend. Even then, if the same freak accident happens twice, that tells me there's probably a weak link in the chain at the same spot. And so whenever the nervous system does get to a point where it's not really firing at an optimal level, if the same weak link is exposed multiple times, that probably means the training hasn't sufficiently prepared them in that specific area. Gotcha, man. I'm still trying to kind of gather that, you know, I'm new to tendon health. You kind of brought it into the light of strain and conditioning. And I'm just kind of like scratching the surface of it. I can tell that you've been really in-depth and really looked at this. You know, I'm guilty of it. I haven't really taken a good look at, you know, tendon health. And that's something that's, you know, and strength conditioning is really not really talked about. And you brought it to light probably last, what, year, about year, year or two. And you've been looking at it since 2019. I mean, like, we're kind of seeing that shift in our career right now to where it's more of grip strength. You know, grip strength's been associated with overall health uh tendon health we're looking at now the mental side of strength conditioning you know like you're saying uh, you know taking care of your cns and your kind of your mentals and that you know affects performance and all that kind of stuff man so i love i love your brand i love this talk about tendon health because it's something that i think a lot of people get out of whether that's be a sport coach or someone that's going to trade conditioning or just strength coaches in general, but someone that they need to hear this. Yeah. And I will, I will pause you and make sure I'm giving credit where credit's due. I definitely helped make it more popular on strength conditioning Twitter. I definitely not been making it popular anywhere near as long as Jake Tura. So if you have Instagram, make sure you're following Jake. He's put out a hundred times more information on this type of stuff than I have. And even like on his Instagram page, like he has those little preloaded stories that you can tap through. And like he's got just 50 plus slides on this stuff. So make sure you're following Jake. Make sure you're looking through his info because he understands it way better than I do. Let's kind of peel back and go into training um, for athletes here for just a moment. What's your training philosophy when it regards to 
in-season, off-season, and preseason training? So for me, it really winds up being off-season, in-season, playoffs is really my three kind of separating factors. Off-season is where I kind of make the judgment call of we're focused on development. I don't necessarily care if you're playing at 100% for every single club travel AAU game. We're focused on developing for our school season. Until the head coach comes and tells me we, pri- we prioritize AAU more than the school season, then I'm going to focus on developing towards the school season. So off-season is where I'm never going to just absolutely dump on you and leave you feeling like insanely fatigued and unable to play your sport. But that's where I'm like, okay, if you're at a 9 out of 10 today for your game instead of a 10 out of 10, I'm not really upset. In season, basically all that happens is we're going to train like normal unless you have a game that day. If you have a game that day, we're going to keep all of our speed stuff in to make sure our nervous system is fully excited. If you're at NatCon, you heard Bobby's troop make some really great points about that, about how you see some players where they look better in the fourth quarter than they did in the first quarter. And really what's happening is that throughout the game, their nervous system is tapping into its full potential. So if you're able to do like overcoming isometrics, some short time sprints, max vertical jumps, things like that, you can go ahead and remind the CNS of like, hey, this is what you're able to do now from tip off or kick off, whatever your sport does until the game ends, you're able to go 100%. So we're always going to keep the speed and the power work like that in there. As far as the regular work goes, we're either going to go sets in half or reps in half or tempo in half. And part of that will just depend on what the programming looks like at the time. And really all that does is it limits time under tension or volume, just depending on how you want to look at it. And in my opinion, from everything I've read and studied and coaches I've talked to, the main things that drive soreness is going to either be volume or novelty of exercise selection which kind of brings me to my next point of we want exercises to be very familiar in the in-season model because we, to me, it would be kind of silly to be like, oh, no, we got to go through, through this point of our squat progression. We did zombie front squat neck last. We got to move on to this next variation. And it's like, okay, th- those things are all cool. But if I can still get the stimulus applied with a familiar exercise and we're still getting better, What's really the point of me changing the stimulus just to say that I'm being a good strength coach and changing the stimulus. And now you're sore and you're taking away from the sport, which is what we're here to serve. So we're going to rotate back and forth between pretty much one to two variations of all your kind of meat and potato type lifts. And that's pretty much what you're going to, you're going to rotate back and forth between those in season playoffs. I want things to be as stupid as possible in terms of the keep it simple, stupid principle. I want thing like in playoffs, I want there to be as little fatigue as possible from the training. So on any bilateral lifts, we're going to limit range of motion. So we're either going to go quarter squat or we're going to go trap bar deadlift. We may even put like a plate or something underneath the trap bar to raise it up even higher. And Outside of that, really, we're going to treat 
our normal days where we would train as normal, those are going to be game day protocol. Game day protocol, we'll get into speed and power stuff, and that's pretty much going to be it. Because at that point, that's where I can live with like, okay, playoffs across any sport is probably going to last about one month. If you look at all of our residuals of training, how long can all of our adaptations that we build the full off-season, pre-season, in-season last? Speed, power, that can last about two to eight days. We're going to keep training that consistently. All of our strength, all of the tissue type stuff, whether it be strength tissue capacities or more aerobic capacities of the tissue, those are all going to give you about 30 days. So I'm like, okay, we can limit our training in these areas pretty low and not lose anything. And we're still going to get a little bit of a stimulus in those areas on the non-game days, so we may even make a little bit of progress. So those things are nice because, and that's, Cody does things extremely similarly. So we would see guys hitting PRs on their fly 10s in week three of the playoffs in football. And part of that's just because you're, I mean, you think about it, it's basic gas curve. You start peaking, you start removing some of the stressors away and you're able to hit higher levels of performance in those performance metrics we all like looking at. So to me, that's when you should peak for a team sport is the playoffs. I don't necessarily care if you're peaked for week one. Me, week one, we're still training. Playoffs, that's when I'm like, okay, we're gonna start peeling some of these stressors away and we wanna be at our very best physically. Yeah, that's a great, kind of insight into, you know, how do you train in season, off season, and I guess in your set, in your kind of um, system, you know, playoff system, you know, kind of taking the, it's just like, a, you know, the, the intensity kind of, I'm not going to say decreases or increases, whatever. Intensity really stays the same, but volume takes a big hit. Yeah, that volume, you know, especially when you're saying like playoff time, that volume takes that dip. It's like, all right, well, we're getting rid of you know X Y Z thing. Now those stressors are away from the athlete, and they are adapting to where they can hit PRs, like you said. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, so, how many teams do you work with? Um, all of them. So, do you have like wrestling, volleyball? We don't like- have wrestling here. Wrestling is. I wish wrestling was more popular in the South. It's just not, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, if you're a if you're a Midwest coach listening to this, you're probably mind blown that wrestling isn't cool everywhere. Yeah. But yeah, don't get to work with wrestling. But so football, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, softball, men's women's soccer, cross country. Um, some of our kids have and then obviously track. Um, for the most part, our track kids all play another sport. Right very few like specialists in just track uh we also have random sports like we have a bowling team um that's cool bowling coach has given me his okay to to train the guys so that's that's available um to be determined on cheer that's a maybe maybe not yeah so probably about about 10 11 teams yeah somewhere in that neighborhood so how do you manage all those teams in the weight room? How do you get them all kind of flowing through there, I guess? That's the best question. So, you know, it's funny. We actually just had a meeting on all that today. Um, because with the way it works, I have to lean on my sport coaches. At least with the guys, I have to lean on the sport coaches to do all of our speed and agility stuff. 
which I really have, like some strength coaches are very, I don't want to say territorial, but they're very slow to let anyone else run any part of their program because we want it run exactly right. And I would be lying if I said I didn't want to run the speed and agility sessions for the guys. But if you also think a sport coach can't learn how to teach those things, you are drastically underestimating your sport coaches. On the other side, like which is going to be easier for them to coach? The stuff out there or the stuff in the weight room? Probably the stuff out there. So the guys, for the most part, I'm going to be in the weight room unless there's just like teams that are going for an away game or something and I get to train everybody together. Um, girls, I've been fortunate this summer. I say fortunate. It's fortunate, unfortunate that our numbers have been where I can train them all together. And so it's been like at least them. I've gotten to run every single part of their program. And our admin made the decision that for summer, that everybody's off season. So in the summer, you were training as a Priceville athlete. In the season, like during once the school year starts, you will be training as a Priceville, like fill in the blank sport athlete. So we may have a a mixed group where you've got football, basketball, baseball, cross country soccer guys all rolling at the exact same time um same thing with the girls we might have every single girl sport or actually we do have every single girl sport represented and present in a lift during the summer during the school year what we do is in the school year we train from two o'clock p.m till four o'clock p.m so i basically get two hours five days a week to work with all those teams so the first thing we do is we divide whether you're in season or out of season. If you're in season, you're going to train from two o'clock to three o'clock because we want you to have time to practice. If you're in season and you have to practice like two until 245, change, come do the lift or the speed work or whatever the day is, and then go back to practice, to me, that's taking away from the sport. So I want all my in-season teams to be able to get that two o'clock to three o'clock time slot so that they can be done and just purely focus on practice and not having any distractions or having to rush through anything to make sure they get to me on time. Three o'clock to four o'clock, that's going to be all of our off-season teams. So I know different sports have different seasons throughout the country. Like I know a lot of you are getting ready for soccer season right now, whereas soccer is a spring sport, spring sport for us. Basically what it's going to look like is you're going to alternate between a day being a speed day or a lift day. And then if you're like, so like basketball won't be in season for a couple months. So on their speed days, they'll still have full agility work. They'll still have some conditioning work, which is apparently a curse word. And strength conditioning now is conditioning. I get it. Don't do stupid stuff, but whatever. So football, we, we don't need to condition anymore because practice and games takes care of the conditioning from this point. We may like once a month touch on some like lower intensity stuff just to maintain the stuff we built in the summer. But that's going to be a once a month type thing, maybe. We're still always going to hit our like, I look at it as a spectrum. You want to train like more extensively than the demands of the sport and more intensively than the demands of the sport. Then you also want some conditioning demands that mirrors what the actual metabolic demands of the sport's going to look like. Once the sport comes into play, that completely replaces the like specific metabolic demands of the sport. Intense stuff is always going to stay because if you look through GPS data, you're not really going to see a ton of 
high speed, 100% max velocity reps. So we're going to keep that in the tank because back to our residuals, you're getting that for two to eight days. And then the more extensive parts, that's where if we can train that once a month, we can maintain everything we did in the off season. So if you have like a bye week or a week where like your basketball, you normally have Tuesday, Thursday or Tuesday, Friday games. Okay, you got Friday off this week. Cool. We can hit some of those extensive metabolic circuits and maintain what we built in the off season. So basically you're gonna rotate you're either speed day, lift day, and you're gonna rotate back and forth. Friday is a makeup day for if you had like an away game midweek and had to miss a session because you had to leave school early. And then three to four, exact same thing, speed day or lift day, rotate every day, Monday through Thursday. And then Friday, some teams, if you want that third session, like a lot of our coaches are gonna want a third session in the off season, you're gonna train three days a week or well, five days a week. And you'll either get three lifts and two speed days or two lifts and three speed days, depending on what the coach wants. Yeah, man. You're really organized, aren't you? You got a whole like probably spreadsheet for all this, don't you? I do have a lot of spreadsheets. I am chaotically organized. That makes sense to you, but no one else. Um, I can make it make sense to someone else, but there's going to be some clutter that makes sense to me. But once I, I get it through it all, it's it, the picture is always there. I think that's an asset that strength coaches need because especially dealing with sport coaches and kids schedules and, you know, other factors that sometimes you may or may not control. I mean, you got to have a plan for pretty much everything. So that kind of that, uh, that chaotic organization is, yeah. I think, a skill set. You've got to be adaptable to be a strength coach. Adaptable. That's a good word. Adaptable. Yeah. Um, kind of talking a little bit about your program, your strength and conditioning program here. Do you integrate technology into your program? For the time being, and a lot of this is just stuff that I have that I've brought with me. Okay. Um, we have Dasher. We have Freelap. I like Freelap a little bit better for more track stuff. I like Dasher better for doing shorter splits. Uh, so... Free lap really won't get used unless we're going like 60 meters or further. Dasher, I prefer for doing like 10 flies and stuff, which is from a team sports setting, that's probably about as deep as we're going to go into the speed work. Um, we'll do different kind or like we have plenty of other things we do, but as far as collecting data, 10 flies of various lead ins are going to be all we're really going to collect. Um, I have a VMAX Pro that is just one I personally own. If I feel like there's an athlete that needs different velocity work, or if like I don't have any athletes that I'm just like, okay, you're definitely strong enough. There's no need to keep working strength with you. We're going to work in some different ranges and just occasionally touch on that strength. Just where we're at, I don't think we necessarily need that right now. That doesn't mean that I don't think that the extra intent from a bar speed monitoring unit helps with every rep. If I had a VMAX Pro at every single station, we'd have it on there for every rep, but we don't. Um, so outside of that, we're not really collecting a ton of data right now. I have a, basically, I made all of our workout cards in Google Sheets. And at the bottom of each card, there's a QR code that has a link to, or link to our uh, Google forum, which is where they can like select their name, grade, rack number, and then input all their data from their lift. So that allows me to have all my formulas set to where when the workout cards are printed, 
it has, if there's something that needs to have a weight recommended. And I say recommended because I don't want to treat it like a prescription where like you have to do this weight because there are going to be some days where you feel trashed and that may feel like 10% heavier than I wanted it to be. And there may be other days where you come in and you're feeling like gas and that might be 10, 15% too low. So it's more of a suggestion than a prescription, but I like for them to have it there because a lot of these things with lifting are skills in and of themselves, which is why I don't really like things. I'm not against systems like reps and reserve or RPE, but they are skills in and of themselves. And sometimes I don't necessarily trust a high schooler to understand exactly what three reps in reserve feels like, especially if I'm not always, because I'm, I'm a big believer that you should never fail a rep in training. So if you've never gone to the point where you fail a rep in training, you probably don't know what three reps in reserve before failure feels like. Yeah, man. Um, when I was in college, first rank coach that I ever had, right, just rolled in as a freshman. We went to failure on squats, and you know, when you when if anyone's gone to failure on lifts like that, yeah, I mean, unless you are absolutely gassed, nothing left in the tank, and yeah, you don't know what training till failure or you know what three yeah. reps looks like or two reps. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Um, is there any technology that you want in the weight room or would like to have? Of course, I'm a strength coach. I can give well, you a list, fifty items long of things that I want. But yes, I would eventually like to have bar speed monitoring units. Uh, definitely want some type of jump or vertical testing device, whether that be plyomat, just jump, a vertex. I'll be honest, if I could only have one thing, I would love to have three adjustable basketball goals in my weight room. And I would like to do most of our jump work just through different types of dunks. I think that would be awesome. I mean, tell me a cooler metric than max dunk height. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, come on. Like, if you're, you can boast like, yo, I can dunk on 10-8. That's awesome. There's, I don't care what your squat is. I don't care what your 10 fly is. I don't care what your 40 is. Max dunk height is a cooler stat, objectively. That's awesome. So I would love to have those. And my other sport coaches are all on board with that. So I would like to think that eventually the three wall-mounted goals will be a thing. I'm going to kind of speak that one into his existence. Um, I mean, how in-depth we want to go? Like, I would love to have pocket radars for medicine ball testing, things like that. Um, but I have something similar to or a K-Box. If I could have multiple of those to where we could have a decent workflow with that, and they've got the K-meter built in and all that. We actually need scales. Like we have one scale that's just not really logistically going to work for training 50 people at a time. So I would like bodyweight scales. Um, Cody, one thing, if you haven't kept up with Cody in a while, he's gotten a G strength where you can test, like it's kind of like a crane scale, but a little bit more accurate and has an app. I would love that as just a very, indiscriminate very like no skill-based measure of just pure strength and just like pure max strength there's no skill to it because we like most of us are aware a lot of your back squat one rep max is going to be limited by how good you are at the back squat whereas you just 
loop in so like a, a belt squat or a front squat harness and you just push your feet as hard into the ground as possible that tells me what your actual max strength is and so i think that's a cool metric to have um there are obviously a lot of other metrics i would like through things like plyomat but those are the main things i also don't want it to ever become the point where i'm just constantly swimming in data and we're just testing four different things every single day and not actually training right that makes sense um that basketball vert height i'm yes. I, I'm, I'm still that yes I, i'm just gonna be honest i'm gonna be, you know i'm gonna put it on twitter i'm gonna put it on the podcast right now i'm taking that yes that's awesome that that's another thing like may, like i get it it's not as cool as like rsi numbers and stuff like that but you can like think about that you can train max vert through like max dunk attempts so you'd be dunking it like and you can even program it like you would a barbell movement like today we're dunking at 93 percent of our dunk max and so like you can have a chart listed like okay these guys need to be at this goal this guy need to be at this goal these guys need to be at this goal it's going to be within a range of your max dunk and then other days we can have like more extensive jumping and so we're going to lower the jump the goals down for for like low rim dunks and now you're going to do 360s, you're going to do between the legs, you're going to find whatever ways you can to dunk that ball. And I will go ahead and say before someone thinks of the terrible idea of having a basketball in the weight room, it'll probably be some kind of padded ball that's not going to bounce all over the place or have the ability to like shoot off and smack somebody in the head or roll under someone's ankle. Different things like that. And like also that is just pure athleticism. Like that is training athleticism in the weight room and like there have been times where I got my like counter movement jump up four or five inches, but it didn't really translate to my ability to like whatever, because I can no longer dunk on 10 feet. I will put that out there. I will not claim to. It's a good day if I can pop the rim anymore. But whatever my max dunk height is, it might not really change, even though my counter movement jump went up. Because the skill of dunking is different than the skill of jumping, especially a bilateral jump. And so I would rather like, okay, let's train a really athletic jump variation, get better at that. And then our counter movement jump's probably going to go up along with it. Do you think they'll kind of give a little bit more buy-in with, you know, yes. just athletes in general? Yes. So, like you hear so many strength coaches talk about how they, like they struggle with like basketball players buying in. Thankfully I don't have that problem. But you want to get a basketball player to buy in, dude, get an adjustable goal and see what their max dunk height is. Let them do low rim dunks on a goal. Basketball players love that. They're going to go home and do it in their driveway anyway. It's a little bit more uh, sports, or, yeah, sports specific to especially basketball. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Stealing the idea, putting it out yeah. there, stealing it. Everyone steal it. I think it would make the field a better place. Agreed. Um, what advice would you give a young student or athlete that wants to go into strength conditioning slash sport performance? Um, first of all, either clean your Twitter up or make a professional Twitter and just start following the big names in the field. Do that. Start listening to podcasts and start hearing the opinions of all these people that have skin in the game and aren't just like try to skip as much of the purely textbook knowledge, no skin in the game zone as you can and learn from other people's mistakes and experiences. And that'll help you once you finally get in those positions. Other than that, um, I gave this advice on Andrew's podcast as well. Get your bag right. 
get your bag right. If you want to take all these opportunities that come available to you, whether, because I was an intern, like even though we talked about all those things, I had to be in a position where I was financially stable enough to be an intern. If you've ever, if you don't know how public schools work, when you first get hired by a public school, you're not gonna get a paycheck for eight or nine weeks until after you're hired. Because the way public school calendar works, you're not getting paid for the first month you're there, it lags a month behind. So for instance, my first paycheck won't be for another, I don't know, like four or five days, but I've been here since the end of May. If you're not in a position where you can go two months without a paycheck, how are you gonna coach? How effective of a coach are you gonna be if you can't afford food, if you can't afford gas? You need to have those stores available so that once you take these opportunities, you can be fully invested without having to spend all of your brain power figuring out how you're gonna survive. Because you will not be a good coach if you're in survival mode. And so set your up, yourself up so that you can be comfortable and take these opportunities. Because the same token, you may have to turn opportunities down because you can't afford to go there. If someone calls you up and they're like, hey man, like I need, like I'm looking for interns, I'm out in California, and you can't afford a plane ticket out there, how are you gonna go take that opportunity? You can't. So find different ways, whether it be driving DoorDash, whether you take a summer job doing some manual labor, whether you learn sales, whether you learn online sales, find a way to get your bag right so that you can take these opportunities without being crazy stressed. And I like that you talked about stress, right? Yes. The more stress you, or the more you worry about your financials, more likely your stress level is going to go up. So how do you manage your stress levels? I mean, one of it, so I've had a pretty long battle with mental health all the way through until I left grad school. Um, you know, praise God that I'm not having to deal with those demons anymore. But just the life I've lived, I can't really be negligent of those things. And so I always try to like just kind of keep in touch with myself and kind of take daily check-ins with myself to kind of see where I'm at. And like yesterday, for example, my car stopped working. So like we had a middle school camp yesterday. I hopped in my car to leave the house, turn it on, cranks up just fine, try to put it in reverse. It won't shift into gear. And then it also won't turn off. So I'm like, well, that sucks. And yeah, like, a, like late last night, I drank two like diet sodas and I was craving cheese sticks. I know myself well enough to know that when I'm really stressed, I'm going to crave caffeine, which I chose a no caffeine option because it was close to bed. And I'm going to uh, crave either cheese or some type of sugar, like ice cream. And so if I really start feeling those cravings, I know like, okay, my body's looking for a way to get some dopamine hits. I need to do it in a, in a healthy way. And I need to kind of step back and start like kind of those hobbies we talked about earlier. Maybe I need to start playing more guitar. Maybe I need to draw or paint, or maybe I just need to go on more walks by myself. Things of that nature. And then usually that's going to take care of most everything. If, you, if you're constantly keeping check-ins on that, it's a little bit harder to get to those burnout situations. But also, I won't lie, there are some jobs where you're just going to experience burnout. Like if you're in one of those 80-plus-hour-a-week jobs, it's going to be pretty dang hard. Last summer, I worked pest control. That's how I got my bag right. And yeah, like I worked 60 hours a week plus about two hours of driving every day, going out there and coming back. 
So you add that up. I worked six days a week. I was putting in 72 hours a week dedicated to that job. By the time I left, I was extremely burnt out. And that's just like, there are jobs where it's extremely hard to avoid burnout. So part of that, you're going to have to ask yourself the question of, am I willing? And this goes back to your original question of like, why high school? I personally know that with my mental health needs, if I put myself in one of those 80 plus hour a week jobs, my mental health is not going to withstand it. And that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, maybe it would if I invested in therapy or something like that. But as it stands, I would not be able to handle something like that. And so high school is a great place where I can maintain all of those things and really not even have to worry about it and still get up to do all the things I want to do. I don't get to say that I work for Alabama or Ohio State or whatever really cool college where I don't get to work for whatever professional team, but I get to do the things that I want to do in my job and I get to do the things that I want to do outside of my job. And to me, that's more valuable than the logo, than the logo on the polo. Yeah, man. Mental health is something that's really gone up in awareness. Especially yeah. the last, I'd probably say last, probably about five, ten years, roughly. Yes, 100%. I mean, we're young enough to, we're kind of in that transitional era, kind yeah. of, where, like, we were told to suck it up, and we're also mm-hmm. told, you need to check in on yourself. And it's yep. like, okay, well, which one is it? Do yeah. I need to check on myself, or do I need to, you know, nut up or shut up, basically? And yeah. now we're kind of getting to this point to where... You know, we're doing more frequent um, practices of mental health, going to get therapy, going to, you know, reaching out to whoever. I mean, I think that's something that needs to be highlighted in not just strength conditioning, but a job field just yeah. in general. Because, yes. like, I teach and I do strength conditioning here. So, I mean, like, teachers, God, God bless teachers because they're there, they're sitting there with kids all day long. They deal with parents. They deal with administration. They deal with state, you know, state standards. Yep. I mean, it's either for teachers, and I, I hope that teachers get more help as time goes on. But I mean, they're either told to beat the standard, and if kids don't meet the standard, then that's their fault. I mean, it's yep. it's it's a big mental game for them. Yeah. And you know, I, my heart goes out to them. And that was something I really respected about my previous administration, because. Like the way we started spring semester, our teacher work day was just kind of a mental health workshop on like strat, like just basic, simple strategies. And it's funny, like me and Cody were sitting there and like it almost felt like we were going through an RPR workshop talking about like all the breathing and the impacts on the parasympathetic nervous system. All these people were sitting around like, what the heck's a parasympathetic nervous system? Me and Cody were like, oh, this is cool. These people like we're, we're talking the same language. But our second teacher work day, we were supposed to have another mental health workshop. And our administration said, you want a mental health day? Take the day off. Don't come in today. Do whatever the heck you want. There's your mental health day. And I was like, thank you. Like, you guys get it. But yeah, like the, the awareness of mental health has come bounds, miles in the past 10 years. Yep. Like, I remember it was my sophomore year at Mississippi State. So 2015. And there was a air quotes school shooter situation where basically what happened, this poor kid 
he called the suicide hotline in Mississippi. And you would assume of all places, they would be trained to know how to handle that. But they call the uh, Starkville Police or Sheriff's Department and they're like, hey, you've got an active shooter on campus. And so they lock the whole school down. They send SWAT in. Like there were police departments from every other county coming into the campus. And it was, it was really in, in like, this was also back during like the Yik Yak era. So like we're uh-huh. checking the Yak and like according to the Yak, it's like three confirmed dead in the union, eight wounded in the library. And it's like, what? And then the next thing you know, it's like three confirmed shooters. It's not just one. And um, all these just crazy rumors going around. And then we got the, the maroon alert text saying everything was clear to go. And we walk outside and apparently no one told the construction crew who was building a new dormitory that there was an, a shooter situation. So they're still building. Someone pops off the rivet gun. Everyone thinks someone's just like popping off an AK, just blasting through rounds. And so everyone just leaves their backpacks and just sprints into the nearest building. I remember one teacher broke her leg diving out a window in a second story building. Like it was a horrible situation just because dadgum Mississippi doesn't know how to handle one kid being depressed and thinking he wants to hurt himself. And like, I remember going to church that night and like the people were talking about it. And this one guy was like, man, we need to test everyone. And if you're depressed, you need to be locked up. You're a danger to society. You're just a ticking time bomb where at some point or another, you're going to hurt everyone around you. And like, I'm sitting there going through like all these crazy things that I've been through since I was a little kid. And uh, I'm like, my guy, if, if depressed people were a danger to your health, I would have killed you long ago. But that's just how people saw it as soon as 2015. Like, that hasn't even been 10 years ago. And just the drastic shift in how people see mental health has really ramp, like, ramped up since then. And there, I mean, there are a lot of hurdles still left to cross. Like, people are going to start talking about, like, should there be mental health days just like we have sick days? How do you regulate those things? How do you know someone's not just BSing and saying they want a day, but they don't want to count it as a personal development day, a PTO day, or a sick day? I don't know the answers to those questions. So lots of interesting conversations to come from that in the years to come. Yeah, man. Uh, I had to talk about mental health. It was something that I think when I was growing up, you know, it wasn't something that was talked about. It was just, you know, um, you know, I'm my only child, so dad, yeah. pretty much. And no fault to his own. And I love my dad. But, I mean, he said, well, son, you need to toughen up. That's why I got yeah. in football, because he wanted me to toughen He wanted me to be a man. And it's like, yep. you know, be tough. And you know what's really tough? Being open about your mental state, man. Like, that's some of the hard stuff, and I, ha- I struggle with that because my wife, God bless her, I won't tell her what's going on. You know, yeah. I, I'll keep my mouth shut, keep going, until one day it's just kind of capped. Yeah, so. yeah that's, uh, I mean, I remember the first time, because I took so, like, I always considered it like my, like, quote-unquote mask that I wore. Yep. And I always took so much pride in, like, the fact that no one had ever noticed that something was wrong with me and that I wasn't okay. And I remember the first time someone asked me, like, hey, dude, are you all right? And, like, I remember it was, like, looking into a black void where I was looking at myself in the mirror. 
and the mirror just shattered and my entire perception of self shattered in that moment because people realized I wasn't okay. Yeah. And so I thought I was tough because I wore that heavy mask and like uh, some people are going to be listening to this and like we've gotten into such a cheesy like the real strength is having the strength to tell a friend you need help. And like it sounds so cheesy and so like calendar platitude but it is true. It is true. You know being honest with yourself is a tough conversation to have. You know, yes. am I really okay or am I just trying to push through the day? Am I just trying to get by? That's sort of yeah. thing. So, uh, last couple questions here for you, Brandon. So, what are your top five coaches that influence you in strength conditioning? So, if you look through my programming, you're going to find, and I had to put one as like a slash between each other. Um, Charles Poliquin, Charlie Francis, Ian King, Bill Bowerman, Tony Holler, and Anatoly Bondarchuk. Those are, you're going to find threads of all those people running throughout my programming. Um, some ways and different than others. Um, like Poliquin and Ian King heavily influenced a lot of the eccentric tempos I use. And a lot of that also flows back into our tendon health discussion we have earlier, because that kind of goes back to the tendons don't necessarily know direction, they just know speed. Right. So if I can slow the lift down, we're trickling in some of that tendon health stuff along the way. Um, Charlie Francis and Bill Bowerman. Um, if, if you guys haven't looked into Bill Bowerman stuff, the stuff he was doing in the 50s would bang on Twitter today. Like, he would go viral every, every single week. You would think that this dude's quoting Charlie Francis, but in reality, he inspired Charlie Francis. So look through Bill Bowerman's stuff, and like, like I said, like his stuff, which this is another thread on hard easy versus high low, they are not the same. And Bill Bowerman is a hard easy guy. Charlie Francis is a high low guy. They sound like very similar concepts, but they're really not. But yes, if you haven't looked through Bill Bowerman's stuff, um, it's kind of hard to find his materials, but find what you can. If you have Audible. There's like a history of Bill Bowerman on there. I think it's called Bowerman and the Men of Oregon. And it's written by one of the guys that he coached uh, at Oregon. Also, if you don't know who Bill Bowerman is, he's the co-founder of Nike, along with Phil Knight. And he was one of the greatest college strength coaches, or not strength coaches, but track coaches of all time. Mainly worked at the mid-distance. I believe he coached 16 sub-four-minute milers. Uh, we've heard of Steve Prefontaine. He was Bill's athlete. Um, Bill Knight, who, who was the other co-founder of Nike, he was Bill's athlete. Really phenomenal and influential coach that you may not even understand how much he's influenced a lot of your training methods. And then uh, Tony stuff, like I'm not 100% Feed the Cats, but if you look through the programming, there's going to be a ton of Feed the Cats influences. And then Bonderchuk influences a lot of the ways of how I rotate exercises and a few other little smaller details. Yeah, man. I follow Tony Holler's Feed the Cat system. You know, I don't take everything that he programs and presents, but I do take, you know, a little bit of methods here and there. You know, that's something that I think coaches should do. You know, don't copy a system, but you could take influence. If you haven't met Tony, Tony doesn't even do everything that he says. Um, on Cody's podcast, he talks about a lot of the time he is rabbit hunting with a buffalo gun 
because a lot of the people in his audience are so dense that he kind of has to over exaggerate some of the things he's saying to get his point across. So a lot of people think Tony's like this soft dude that only runs three reps and goes home every day. And that's all he does. And that's not true. Right. Who's a coach that you think everyone should be following, whether that is Twitter, Instagram, or social media, just in general. I've already mentioned Jake a few times. Um, I'm going to double down on that on Instagram. He, like I said, he does tweet. He's just not as big on there. And I think his content's a lot more funny and easy to engage with on Instagram. Um, here, I'll give you a laundry list of people to look up. I'll kind of harp on a few of them. Um, first, I'll shout out all my Alabama boys. So if you've unfollowed Cody on anything, he's going to be back pretty soon. So make sure you're still following Cody. Uh, also, I mean, we got our big Alabama names like John Hersel, Brandon Herring, uh, Cade McGee, just one state coach of the year for us. Yep. Then we got some other guys that you may not know as well, like Ty Burt and Jacob Danley. That I'm trying to bully them into tweeting more because they're both really smart, and I think people need to hear their voice and their thoughts. Like Ty called me the other night and just absolutely blew my mind on conditioning. Like I've reached out to you via DM immediately after I got on the phone with him. I'm like, dude, he needs to be on the podcast eventually. Ty's really good. Jacob's really good. Um, outside of that, obviously there are a lot of big names that a lot of people know, like your Joey Garaccio, Bob Alejo, uh, Derek Smith, Mark Hoover, Pat Basil, those type names, Rob Assis. If you're a track person and don't follow Rob Assis, you're crazy. Um, Elizabeth Olson. Um, she's really good. Also, Anna Woods. Um, she works with such an interesting population because she does some special needs type stuff. And that always kind of blows my mind. Uh, also, if you're a track coach, you got to follow Joe Stokowski. He's a great coach. He's hilarious to be around. Uh, Jeremy Tui, Ross Garner. Uh, who else? Jack Van Dam. One guy, Coach Richter has like, I don't even know if the dude has 200 followers, but Coach Richter will ask every question. He is completely unafraid to ask and learn on Twitter, and I respect the heck out of that because I guarantee you that dude has become 10 times the coach he was last year just because he is vulnerable enough to ask questions almost every single day. But outside of those people, um, first person to shout out is Jorge Sanchez. If you don't know Jorge, dude is awesome. He's a fantastic dude. He's a fantastic coach. He still plays college football, and he's a high school strength coach. He was coaching a lot of his own college football team this time last year as a strength coach. I mean, he's absolutely unbelievable. Some of the stuff he's talking about, you would never assume that he's, I don't know, like 22, 23 years old and playing college sports. He's a fantastic coach. Um, other ones I would look into is Joe Artari and Jake Topple. They also have a podcast, so you can get to know them a little bit better if you want to listen through some of their episodes. I think that's called Confessions of a Strength Coach. But they both put out fantastic content. I think Joe actually works high school, college, and private sector. So he has tons of perspective on things like that. And he can, I mean, he gives out great content. I'm sure there's a ton of people I left out. If I left you out, I do apologize. I still love you. I just forgot to mention you on this podcast. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I got a couple of those guys that you mentioned coming on the pod, like oh, Jack yeah. Van Dam and uh, Jeremy Tuhey, or Tuhey, yeah. where, however you pronounce I, his I last name. I apologize, Jeremy, if I said your name wrong. 
same here, but I mean, I think I'm I side two, like the blind side, but that may be completely wrong. Yeah, man, I'm excited for those guys to come on and kind of give their perspective of things because Jeremy's in the private sector, right? I believe so, yes. They're both in the private sector. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm ready for them to come on, ready for them to give their perspectives too. Oh, also forget to, forgot to mention Blaine Donahoe, but he's already been on your podcast, so they should be familiar with him by now. Blaine's well, my a, guy. That's a Tennessee boy right there. Yeah, I love Blaine. Yeah, he he, uh, he was 100% factual on his on your podcast with him, where he talked about like buying people a sandwich. When he came to visit me and Cody, I'm not gonna lie, Madison Academy cafeteria food is absolute five star dining. It is not normal high school cafeteria food. I remember our first day we had like Texas pot roast. And so like by no means are me and Cody hurting for a meal because we get to eat for, we got to eat free at Madison Academy. That's dope. Because we were staff. And Blaine still went out and bought us firehouse subs just because he was absolutely bound and determined that he was going to buy us lunch because he appreciated the time that we gave him and the stuff we had taught him. Dudes, I mean he's salt to the earth, love him to death, do anything for him. Same here, man. Like he re- well, I reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, do you, do you want to come on? And, you know, he's gun-ho about it, gave me his phone number, said, man, yeah. you need anything. You know, he's, he's a, I hate to say this, but he's a guy's guy. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you need him, he's going to be there for you. 100%. Well, Brandon, thank you for coming on. Thank you for, you know, giving, just laying it all out basically whether that's training whether that's talking about mental healthness whether it's just you know coaches that influence you thank you for just putting it out there for us yeah we went down a lot of rabbit holes there so uh i apologized if anyone's uh a little a little brain fried right now but yeah hopefully you guys enjoyed this hopefully you got something out of it um like i said i'm going to reiterate Go listen to the Just Fly Performance podcast and the Jacked Athlete podcast episodes with Keith Barr. Then listen to the episodes with Jill Cook. Try to figure out why it sounds like they're saying different things and see if you can figure out why they're actually saying the same thing, but just measuring it a little bit differently. So make sure you're doing that. Make sure you finish and follow all the people I follow. Um, I mean, also, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. Um, try to help where I can. And if we need to get something deeper, then we can always, you know, talk about something like that. Right, absolutely. Before we go on here, I do want to apologize. I think I said Princeville at the beginning uh, of this podcast. It's Priceville. Yeah. Priceville High School. So yes. I want to put that out there. And apologize. I figured I'd say the name of it eventually. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you, Brandon. Thank you for everything. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry. That. Brandon, I appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. See you guys.